Crash Chords Podcast. It's our year-end special. We're going to do a bit of a bigger show today, uh, get a little bit in the Christmas spirit, New Year's spirit. We're going to talk about... Uh, the Hanukkah spirit. That too. I should remember that. I'm a Jew. The Kwanzaa spirit. No, we don't like that. I think Atheists got one now. There might, be, there might be one around this time. They have no spirit. They have Festivus yeah. for the rest of us, right? Yeah, I think so. No, that's separate. That's don't separate. confuse them. They'll... Wow, you're insulting people already. We're we're only a few minutes in, and we're already offending people. Not even a, a few minutes. Yeah, no. Yeah, wow, my sense of time is completely off. We went from th- okay. never mind. <laughs> anyway, um, so yeah, we're gonna t- we're gonna talk a little bit about um, our favorites of the year, the worst of the year. Um, we do have an album review today that will be a, a bit quicker one. It's our uh, as we mentioned last week. It's going to be a CeeLo Green's new Christmas album, but, but um, first. I'm going to have a day off real soon. Lucky and I'm you. so happy. I've been working every day since Thanksgiving. And that day is Christmas. Right? Yeah, Christmas Day. I'm I'm working That's your day. I'm working <laughs> That's a good day to have. I'm working 6 or 7 hours on Christmas Eve. Oh. And then I'm working again till uh New Year's Eve for a full day and then getting New Year's Eve off, a uh, New Year's Day off. Then I'm working through till end of January 7 days a week. My Christmas spirit till the weeps, end of January. Weeps for Basically, you. till the end of January. Jeez. No, it, this is what happens when you're in a niche seasonal market. Eh. You know, to be fair though, and I think it should be pitched. He's in a very, very Christmassy market because it involves trains. <laughs> yeah, and trains. Are and very I love trains, and they should be going around everybody's tree, and not enough people do that. And they should. Yeah, wasn't so it you? All with... of you people, please put a train around your tree. Wasn't it you who threatened to get me and Mary one eventually? I'm getting you guys one oh, no. eventually. Oh, John, it was oh, John who threatened of... us. Well, can, can you please threaten me <laughs> with one? <laughs> I'd like one. <laughs> I, 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 I have an old uh, Union Pacific one, uh, Lionel, Lionel Union Pacific. That one was pretty nice. Yeah, get I got a lot better. of fun out of that. Hey, 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 hey. I'm sorry, this is trains we're talking about. Hey. You get Batmobiles out of my store, all right? Don't even start. You've got a collection of Batmobiles because of me. That's true, I do. I also have a a die-cast, larger-scale speed racer car, too. You're welcome. Yeah, that's still in the box. I got stuff. We do stuff at my store. We're 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 all sorts of toys. We've got and this is freaking literally called stuff. trains and hobbies. Might as well be called trains and stuff. Yeah, <laughs> you should change the name to trains and stuff. You should. We might. We have to. There's, like, a, there's a store here on our, on our local Staten Island uh, called Milk and Things. I love it. It's perfect. The, oh yeah, is that right on uh, um, the right along the highway, like on the service road? Yeah, because they all know that. But yes, 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 it is. That could um, be Staten Island listeners. Who knows? There's one on Victory too. But regardless, milk and stuff. Milk and, milk and things. Milk and things. I love it. it. Like that's what people say when they're gonna go get stuff. It's milk and things. But let me tell you, this is this is my job. I've got between fifty and a hundred thousand items in the store at any given time, and I have to know them all. I'm only more impressed with you now. Because <laughs> um, my opinion was otherwise. Yeah. Also, so <laughs> with with Christmas comes great cheer and happiness, and also complaining because people like to complain on the holidays. I like and to I, complain. I have a complaint on behalf of my girlfriend and fellow contributor Mary. So apparently, Santa thought it'd be a great idea to drop off all of the presents and not wrap any of them. So poor Mary had to wrap them all. Santa's so insensitive. Why would you drop off all these gifts and then not wrap them? That is a pain. There is no Santa Claus. The what? tooth fairy what? told me. What? 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 You take that back. That's one. Of, take that back. That's one of my favorite. I want you to take that back right now. That's one of my favorite childhood lies. What? Santa Claus. 
Parents can start whipping that out in October. Yeah, it's it, is, it is a great tool to control children. Unless they're Jewish. I don't like this conversation. Yeah, it's a very, yeah. very wholesome idea, and it's very, very beautiful, no. and, and, and there's many no, songs, Christians, great songs written about no, it. No, to be truthful, Santa Claus is a very capitalist idea. Oh my god, I hate this conversation. <laughs> no, but look at it this way. There's nothing way. wrong with a little bit of uh, us generous Christians, capitalism. Generous. Yes. Us Christians, we created someone who goes around and, and watches you constantly, and, and is, you know... Check it off if you do good things or bad things, and if you're following the rules. It's kind of brilliant. And he rewards you for doing such. And in fact, I wanted to be bad this year because the price of coal is going through the roof. But, <laughs> Matt, you guys picked a dreidel. We that's pick that's, a dreidel? Do you know anything about Hanukkah? That's not do, you the subject know, of <laughs> do you even know why we light candles? Yes, I know, because the oil lasts through eight eight days while you're in hiding at something or another. And it's been a while since I heard this story. Yeah, how long were you in hiding there? For eight days. Yeah. And the oh, candles yeah. stay we had enough oil to light the candles that they stay lit for eight days. And it's only supposed to last one day. Yes. And no offense to your people. That's the miracle. We got a guy that goes around the world in one day and gives presents to everybody. You had oil last. We also have Bing Crosby and Neck and Cole. Oh, yeah. There's we have too. Adam Sandler. We have uh, the Ray Khan of Singers. We have Lenny Kravitz, although he's only half <laughs> You can keep Lenny Kravitz. I don't want him. <laughs> anyway. Um, O.J. Simpson. Percy still face. not a Jew. <laughs> um, no, it's true. There isn't a lot of Hanukkah music. It's actually kind of a bummer, you know, that... Only a comedian has written Hanukkah songs. Like, it can't be that hard to write a Hanukkah song. Well, the problem is the spe- the tradition and the spirit. Like, it is a newer holiday. Well, uh, not even that. Hanukkah is also very much a factual, finger quote <laughs> holiday. Like, we don't have mystical characters we've made up to go along with our holiday. Like, Christmas yeah. was originally about the birth of Christ, not Santa Claus. Well, well, it was. It was. It was actually quite coincidental with the. Uh, Celtic celebration of of the solstice, okay. and that was a pretty big event for them, which was a pretty good selling point when uh, Christianity came through Europe and said, hey, we have this holiday that happens to coincide with your holiday. And uses and... all the same traditions and everything like that. No. Yeah. It was a big party, and it still continues to be a big party. I promise we'll get to music, guys. Stick with us. Don't bail yet. No, no. Christmas, we... we st- We're talking about Christmas music, so this is quite relevant. The, the, yeah. the Christians stole... Winter solstice yeah. from the pagans of Europe. Yeah, because winter solstice is the kind of thing you can steal. No, it is. It, it, <laughs> they put it in a box. You didn't know. But I it, love receiving winter solstice. And the, the, what, my what, Christmas, what Christmas is now has nothing to do with the actual holiday when it was first imagined, nor has anything do to ever... truly do factually with, with uh, Jesus. Can we talk but, about how awesome candy canes are? Yeah, you're welcome. Okay. Especially the rainbow ones. He's just delicious. he's just insulting me the whole entire day. I I, I can't. I I'm, I'm too offended. Way too offended right now. What? You know what's really funny? There's candy cane smoke you. scent for Lionel trains now. I'm not joking. <laughs> That's candy cane kind of and awesome. evergreen because we sell so much around Christmas. So anyway, CeeLo Green came out with a Christmas album this year. Oh um, yeah, music right. That's right. I it's CeeLo's magic moment. It's a collection of uh, 14 tracks of uh, covers and a couple of originals. To put it out there, it does kind of sound like a kid's show. CeeLo's Magic Moment? I think that was on purpose, though. Actually, I love the cover, which is him riding like a rocket-powered sled. It's yeah. awesome. Yeah. It's yeah. so it looks really cool. disco. Yeah. Um, uh, 
so this will be a bit quicker because there are a bunch of covers in here, so stuff that we don't really get too technical on. But um, it opens with a very fun and bouncy uh, title uh, intro track called uh, What Christmas Means to Me. Um, CeeLo put his own little spin on it, and it was very bouncy and fun. Fun, and, bouncy. Going. fun and bouncy is about how And he, put... start, he started putting in the beats that he was going to do, which is a little more R&B style than your standard Christmas genre. And we have to talk about this. Christmas yeah. genre music in a classical sense is very much caroling or orchestra-oriented. So, With sail yes. is what also used to here we come always sailing which is funny enough that that Shaw song should be much older than it really is it's actually from just the 19th century but that was pretty much all about caroling which were, the tradition were, of was sailing goes back a thousand years if i'm not mistaken you were there when they were actually writing that song yes yes because i'm that old yes, yes old soul of course. um your soul was there uh, no, it's it's strangely Christmas. I don't take offense to that in the slightest. Is it amazing? It's like a compliment, like if I've ever heard one. Because well, you act like an old man and you like old man Christmas music. But classical <laughs> Nat King Cole, Bing Crosby. Yeah, classical, classic styled Christmas music is very much kind of stiffy in parts. It is it's, stiffy, it's, but there's a warmth to it. There yes. is such a warmth there. But and it's I, like your grandmother that you don't want to get too close kind of warmth. You love her and she makes the best cookies, but she kind of smells funny. <laughs> I don't know about that. <laughs> I had a very different experience with my grandparents. I love them very much and like spending every minute I had with them, but that's just me. I didn't say that was me. I'm just saying that's that's. it's like your grandmother. I disagree. And I, I never really knew my grandparents growing up, except for one who died when I was four. So, so let's just... Let's look out the grandparents. Christmas music for me is, I like, a, surprise, surprise, a wide variety of everything. From the old man, kind of Nat King Cole original style stuff, to the newer modern stuff as well. And we have to say, the reason we brought this whole thing up is that what Christmas means to me, the first song on this track already introduces something new. It is R&B, almost jazzy in its beats. He's given a little bit of energy to it that you don't expect from caroling. And yet, the R&B is not so prevalent here as it is later in the, later in the yes. album. Yeah. Uh, but this is a nice prelude to it. Yes. After all, we all know what CeeLo Green does, and yes. he's very, very good at that. <laughs> yes, um, that's, that can't be denied. One of the better uh, singers of the current generation of singers, for sure. Especially in the pop R&B genre. Um, so yeah, What well, Christmas to Me, a nice take on it. Um, mm-hmm. Next is uh, track two, Baby It's Cold Outside. This song's been done in all different sorts of ways. Sure it has, but it's been done in a lot of tacky ways, too. Yes. And that's what I also think it's important to address here, is that Christmas genre, I'm a fan of the classic and the warmth, but we have had a lot of covers. It is it is a genre that just loves to do covers of the oldies. And, yeah. it's, you know, these covers can go either way. There's tasteful and there is atrocious. <laughs> Baby is Cold Outside, CeeLo Green style, uh, featured, um, the female vocalist to feature and sing beside him was Christina Aguilera, who, love her, hate her music, still one of, also one of the greatest vocalists. Agreed. Um, and they do a very nice spin on it, it's very beautiful. You know, the singing in the beginning of it was very much par for the course, the, uh, the, it's very much like a lot of the other versions, but then as it progressed, there was this kind of background music that kind of built and it towards also the end. Was very oh yeah the violin the violins were great yeah. but it was also had a very um it was a vocal showy track yeah. like you have two I mean, great singers why wouldn't you do that of though? course yeah. the the original pair was, was was a little bit i guess i could call that a little bit stiff which it's funny just to go back to what you were saying before john you you called there to be a stiffness in the old classic christmas it 
Do you mean old old, or do you mean 50s, 60s era? Do you mean, even do you say... mean ni- the previous centuries of Wassailing, or do you mean... Uh, even, no, mid, even this The century, mid-20th that we grow up with. Even, even someone with the jazzy f- t- uh, take on it, like uh, uh, Frank Sinatra, yeah. or the bluesy taste of Elvis... There sure. was still a little bit of stiffness involved right. in it. Well, I guess you could say that that's just a little bit more where I'm at. Because, um, you know, I understand that not everyone is so religious to incorporate the Tr- actual old carols. Truthfully, I have to say my favorite version of Baby It's Called Outside is the one that Turk and JD did. And I'm not kidding. Donald Fasson and Zach Braff, as Turk and JD, did a video to raise money for charity as if the two of them were singing Baby It's Called Outside, which played very well to the characters from the show, and it was very clever. It was for uh, a charity they both work on. This is from See, the TV is, show Scrubs. This is yeah. why it's good to have, have a Jewish person during a Christmas review, because he can look outside of the, uh, the warmth and everything that, I guess, the traditional Catholics would grow up with, or Christians in general. And uh, baby, it's cold outside. Was very traditional. Yeah, it was very traditional. This which, was this this which was a little sad. Oh, see, I, I like already that. enjoyed the first track, but the second one, while they have beautiful voices, they kind of overdid it towards the end. Okay, I, I agree with tiring. that. I agree with that. They did kind of overdo it with the vocals. Um, but I love the whole jazzy brass thing. The like yeah. little interludes there. I, I was I was really digging that. And uh, then, because that that you know was very new. indicative of the. No, actually, I I was going to say that it was indicative of the old. Come to think of it. Sure, the old, old uh, 50s, 60s era Christmas songs really love to... It, maybe it wasn't so jazzy, but it was still brassy. Mm-hmm. And next track, This Christmas. <sighs> Honestly, this was one of the more forgettables for me. Because I've heard this one, this one I heard a thousand and one times. Now, this one I, I, I have to disagree 100% mm. on you. Uh, this had uh, the bass, strings, this... the rhythm, the... The drum work, the piano, everything in this was just spot on, and it was not just R and B. This was almost funk. This is yeah. like a funk. Well, I don't it know if I go so far as some, but it was soulful. It, had it. it, it had was it very there. soulful. This I've and the heard, next song were both soulful. I've heard versions like this before, so I wasn't getting anything new. I've heard a lot of Christmas music. I have never heard, heard a version of this like before. this before. You you equated it to Kenny G a little bit, but yes. Kenny G is not so much. Uh, he's more jazzy than he is funk, and I I'm telling you, I heard. A little bit. This song here. made me realize that CeeLo Green is the the. He may not be as to scale as Barry White was, but there are shades of Barry White in this song. Absolutely, uh, no, I think he's about the same size. There are. <laughs> I had to. It was there. Zing. You teed it up. I, I I think that there are shades of Barry White in this, and and I think that CeeLo Green has. I mean, hell, I'm sure CeeLo Green would take that as a compliment. I'm sure he's influenced. No, perhaps I'm like, going a little far with funk, but soul. And that's oh, very white. That but is I gotta say, be, oh, yeah. my, my Kenny G comment was, Kenny G is kind of obnoxious with his, his saxophone. I really cannot stand his music because... It's no, just, I, I, I'm with you, you know, on, on being able to get tired it's obnox- of Kenny G. It's obnoxious music, and it was. I yeah, felt like CeeLo was using... Far. Was using the instruments the same way in this one, mm. a little bit on the obnoxious side. That's in. I I respectfully disagree because I I agree with you on the analysis of Kenny G, but I I did not see that here. I yeah, saw a I, different I, animal. I much enjoyed this song. And I, I well produced, well layered, everything was going on here. I yeah. I could see this this kind of broke broke the mold a little bit because yeah. even though it's not my traditional style of Christmas. This brought in other elements that I was able to fully appreciate and could probably incorporate within my celebration. And I think that, if I remember correctly, you felt that way about the next track as well, um, the, uh, the Christmas song, which was just kind of this soulful, warm kind of... He didn't really do much with it. He just took 
the Christmas song, you know. Yeah, no, this is a more stricter uh, interpretation, very much. And he just took it with his voice and just carried it. And, and it was, I think it was good on its own. I didn't think it needed any more complexities in it. You know, let me preface also, me, obviously growing up Jewish, didn't celebrate Christmas a lot. You know, sometimes with extra, certain family members who celebrated Christmas. But I wasn't very into Christmas music. Only in the last couple of years have I really gotten to Christmas music, but to say that Mary likes Christmas music is an understatement in and of itself. She could, from December 1st to January 30th, she could listen to Christmas music every day. Yeah. So, <laughs> and so, of course, some of it's grown on me, and I do like a lot of it, but CeeLo's Magic Moment was the first Christmas album I ever got that I wanted to listen to before Christmas, you know? Yeah. And that's that's really saying something for me, and and... Like the next song too, just uh, like an old tale. The Christmas spirit entered his heart <laughs> and grew three sizes. <laughs> that we'll get to that later. Um, because shocker, I'm sure people will be completely astonished to know that a Jewish kid loved the How the Grinch Stole Christmas as their favorite Christmas movie. But um, <laughs> the cartoon, silly. the cartoon prefacing the live action movie was an abomination. Um, live action movie was actually true. To, no, no, it wasn't. No, it wasn't. No, it wasn't true to anything. Um, I love the cartoon. Yeah, the cartoon is, is unbelievable. But anyway, get back on track. So the next track five on this on the Christmas album was White Christmas. Everyone knows White Christmas. And CeeLo kind of took it to that next level. It wasn't like the traditional. Beautiful and grand. Yeah. It and w- big. It and was huge. And hey, le- look, and what does it say on my sheet? Oh. Beautiful and grand. And instrumentation. <laughs> and We're layering. also obvious about our sheets. Yeah. <laughs> uh, layering. He, he did a great job. But this is where I started losing the album because it really was it was the same thing that you've I've heard so many times. Here I started future. to see what you were talking about because um, I suppose here I became uh, crotchety, not, not to say crotchet, rather Scrooge. Interesting how that how that went into play. Anyway, um, White Christmas. I am such a sucker for the Bing Crosby version. I mean, that's what I love. And sadly, and I, I will be mentioning these names, you know, over yeah, and over and over, over again because they, they be. have set modern Christmas for us. I feel. I guess that because I wasn't exposed to as much Christmas music, I was so on board with this because to me it just sounded good. I wasn't comparing it to anything. As I said, that's, that's why you're here. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> and I thought, as a standalone song, I, th- I think it was still very well made. Even if you like a different version better, you can't deny how well this one was. Yeah, made. no, I, I I agree with that. I, I suppose the only there are. It's interesting to analyze the catalog of Christmas songs at play here because there are some that lend really, really, really well to uh, evolution, to yeah, evolution, varying styles, all different genres coming in to uh, kind of make it their own. But there are others that I think require a little bit more of a tasteful touch. Now, Cela Green was sort of in the middle with that, and when it came to this song, I, I, I probably would have preferred a little bit more taste. Um, not, not that he's not tasteful in, as a general right. artist, but in this particular song, I just thought he went the step too far. I'm pretty confident at this point we're still going to rate this higher than a good chunk of stuff we've rated before anyway. Oh, yeah. Um, <coughs> but now we get to track six, which was the single from the album and his original, All I Need Is Love, um, which featured the Muppets. Now, this is where, <laughs> surprisingly enough, John and Steve were very divided for me. Usually it's me and John who agree, or me and Steve who agree, but this time Steve and John were very much on the same page. Me personally, and let me get this out of the way because I know that they have a lot to say about this song as well. I liked it. I thought, was it the greatest song ever made? No. Was it fun and I enjoyed listening to it? Yes. It featured the Muppets. It featured uh, Statler and Waldorf at the end, cracking a joke, which is par for the course with modern Muppets things. 
and I enjoyed it. I thought it was a lot of fun. I thought the the in, the remix and sampling of the Snoths for uh, do do I thought it was very very well done. Well, I'm going to pick up on your point right there because that was probably the number one problem with the song for it me. It did not fit. I did not think it fit either. I mean, I appreciate the homage to the Muppets and all, but that's kind of uh, part B of my analysis yeah. is that I don't think I don't think we can really talk about this song without mentioning the fact that the Muppets were a pretty big feature here. Mm-hmm. I mean, they're brought in as a cameo. Muppets are brought in as cameos a lot, but I'm almost willing to say that it's being slightly overdone. Now, I appreciated the Benfold 5 uh, use of it. I, I think that was actually done really, really well. Yeah, but that was only in the video. They didn't actually sing in the song. So true, actually, that, that, that kind of took this to the extra point. Exactly. I think that Muppets stand up when they're doing their own stuff. That is very obvious with all the YouTube videos you're gonna find of them nowadays. Yeah. And honestly, it seemed hokey. It that did. was a big it did. Hokey, hokey. And where I put it, which goes back one, to the the one redeeming thing about having the Muppets, Muppets in there was the breakdown rap. Yes, with uh, that uh, uh, Pe- Pepe is yeah. the, sh- is the uh, prawn's name. Yes. Which I thought was very fun as well. And even yeah. then, I uh, like honestly, it was great. It was fun hearing him rap, but it really didn't go with the song. Yeah. It, it was, I guess the problem, you used the word hokey, which is perfect. I would also say that the song was kind of a gimmick in general. Mm-hmm. I mean, you know, it's the Muppets. It's kind of everyone. That, I guess that's my only problem is that I, I, I like the Muppets in their own right. To the point where I like the new Muppet movies. I love the old Muppet movies. And I kind of want to see them do their own thing. Just to see them kind of, like, I feel like humans should be the cameos in their world. Not so much them be the cameos in Just the like the good world. old days. Where people <laughs> Just like were the good cameos. Old days. Surprise, surprise, I'm old and I want everything the way it was. But No, 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 no. Yeah. I agree completely here. They, they... Do those words burn coming out of your mouth? I've... I agree with Steve once in a while. Usually he agrees with me because I speak louder. Um, it's This one really, really hurt it. I feel like it really actually hurt the album. I disagree. I think it was fun. and I agree it was hokey, but I'm okay with it being hokey. Because okay. the Muppets are sometimes hokey. It, it almost would have served as a better like YouTube single. Just like not on an album or anything, but an obvious joke that uh, Cecil Green was just sending out himself. Not really as a part of his discography, but just sort of as a joke that he thought it was funny, and he put it out there. Uh, if it would just existed as a YouTube I think video. it's catchy, and, album, and I think it was a good lead single for a Christmas album to well, reel people in. just to reel back to uh, the one, uh, the major, musically speaking, yeah. the, the musical problem I had was the use of do-do-do-do-do. I love the sketch, I love, I love it the fit, Muppets' use of it. It fit the tempo perfectly. That doesn't mean you gotta use it. I mean, it was it was a little exactly. Oh. It was almost kind of a cheap shot. It's like they realized it works. They put it in there, but the fact is, I could not get my head off of it. I I was only focusing on that because it was so prevalent. It's a very jarring thing. It steps in there and suddenly that's that's on your head. And I couldn't focus on the rest of the song. Kind of wanted to. Anyway, I politely I politely disagree oh, because politely. I think it was well mixed and well mastered. I think it was done for what it was supposed to be. This kind of hokey, fun little draw people in. I think it was done fine. It was not the best song on the album. That's the next one, which John absolutely hated, but I loved. 
The next song is CeeLo Green's acapella version of Your Mean One, Mr. Grinch. Now here we, again, respectfully, turn the tables. Because here, me and Matt agree 100% and, and John is a little I bit... I think this is the most original version of Your Mean One, Mr. Grinch. And one of the most original I, ideas I would in, in Christmas music recently, at least. We haven't heard anything acapella. In anything we've reviewed so far, acapella is is a, is a rare surprise, and yeah. and uh, when done well, which I believe here it was, uh, I mean, beautifully orchestrated. One of my favorite Billy Joel songs of all time, orchestra, people is in. for the longest time, which is just Billy Joel, some backup singers singing acapella, and it's one of my favorite songs. I think it withstands the test of time very well because of just how basic it is, but still well made. And I just, I love this. I thought it was great. It was clever to have them do the sound effects, help them with the storytelling. I thought it was very well done. And to tie it back to Christmas, I saw the warmth here, because I yeah. think there's something warm about, why do you think choruses come in a lot in yeah. Christmas songs? There's something warm about the human voice. Yeah. To just hear the, the human voice alone, and this was by a very, uh, very talented group who um, actually stepped in. They, they were not, I mean, obviously... They only it, did this it's song. just this song. Yeah, That's it was right. just this song. It was just stepped in for this song, and they collaborated with CeeLo Green, and it, it just, it worked. It worked, in my opinion. And now the rebuttal. I, okay, I grew up in Carmen San Diego. I got into Rockapella when I was younger, and actually hey, grew, I love Carmen San Diego. And grew to love uh, certain aspects of acapella music. Where in the world is Carmen San Diego? Actually, Rockapella had a couple <laughs> of fun songs, especially for younger kids. A lot of fun songs. The problem I had, the problem with this song for me was twofold. One, I didn't think CeeLo's voice when he was narrating actually lended to what he was saying. And that extends to, I didn't like the narration in the song. It broke up the song, and yes, it's a story, but The Grinch is already a song. And he kind of just interjects parts of the books in there that I didn't, I didn't enjoy the way he did that. I actually, you know, you have a little bit of a point there. I enjoyed the the music side of it. Him the narration was better. Yeah, the narration. The narration was. Again, I'm going to go back to the golden oldies here. I do enjoy the deep voice of um, the old oh, narrator, oh, that, the original. That, his yes. name is on the tip of my tongue here. Believe it or not, same exact guy who uh, who did the voice of Tony the Tiger. Yep, they're both great. Same guy. Um, I see what you did there. And my second qualm, which is significantly bigger, is I did not actually enjoy how the backup singers did, especially the later half of the song, the acapella. I did not enjoy the beats they were putting in there. I felt it was actually jarring to hear this poetry broken up the way they were kind of just throwing in noises after a while. It, it It really broke it up for me, and it... It was clever. I gotta give him this. It was clever. It was like a very unique song. It just did not work for me. Fair enough. I mean, I'll, as far as the beat is concerned, I didn't notice it so much here, but it was uh, it was noticeable in later tracks. So we'll get to that. But it the, definitely, the voice... I de- I definitely understand where you're coming from, John, and it's okay to be wrong. But moving on. <laughs> I'll, I'll let you know when I'm wrong. Just pull the yeah. John, the know. John thing right back yeah. on. But no, seriously, I think <laughs> that wrong, it was sir, definitely one of the more original tracks, though. Oh, that we've I heard gotta in a while. give him credit for that because it was an incredibly great idea. I just didn't like the execution. Be- better to That's try something thing. new and fail than not try anything new at all. We talked about that. It's a true, while we ago. did talk yeah. about that. That was last week. That was last week. Okay. Yes. 
Um, <laughs> moving on to the next track. Uh, track eight is uh, Please Come Home for Christmas, of course. Another very well-known song. This one was where... See, I really do like this album a lot, but this was definitely a song where it was very noticeable that there was this backbeat that worked in some songs and didn't work in some songs. And this one was a little overbearing. And without the backbeat, it was... Who did this song earlier that we were talking about? The the the, the chords, without that backbeat, was just similar. And the backbeat, yeah. I, it broke up the song and really hurt his voice. It did. This was a case where uh, the backbeat was kind of a, a drone. And I, I, am, I am sensitive to repetitive musical features. There's the kind that work, and there's just the kind that don't. I did not think that that backbeat really lended itself to this at all. I'm, I'm sensitive to orange juice. I can't drink too much. Hmm. I think you have a yeah. problem with the acidity. Yeah. Acidity? That. Acidity? I like that one. I've heard both ways. Acidity. Of course you have. I think um, that relates to the posterior. No, it was it was an okay <laughs> rendition. This this is where the album started really... I, I, he just started getting a little old school. When he was already doing something new. Even the Grinch. I you know, I, I, it's interesting. As much of an old man as I am, I was digging his... New stuff. His new stuff, yeah. It um, was fun. It really was. Yeah. There were, the problem was, when he went old school, he persisted on keeping that backbeat. That backbeat, I th- really think, what was the, one of the crucial, crucial uh, killers for this. I mean, it, yeah, I just... In addition to a backbeat, which is something that can kill a song, I, I, I also take issue with the jinka 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 little jingle in the background that a lot of Christmas songs for the past... Oh, 30, 40 years have insisted on putting that in. As soon as you put that in, it's a Christmas song. It's a Christmas song. That's all you gotta do. It could, be, it could be a generic pop track, but as long as you have that little jangle jangle in the background, it's Christmas. I, I don't buy it. I don't buy it. It's, it's, it's a little bit of a cheap shot. Now, I'm not saying that he's that cheap, because he's pretty good with most of the other stuff he yeah, does. Yeah, he's just trying it's to... Just, you know, he's incorporating a little yeah, bit. Yeah, but a lot of, of times his... in this album, when there's a jingle like that, it fits with the beat or with the progression of the song. It's not just there for the sake of being there. There's this song I heard of once. It's called Jingle Bells. Uh, yeah, I'm fr- I think I'm it fits there. It's a long. I think song. it did fit there. It's been around for a while. I yeah. think at least a few years. Yeah, I think the theme had something to do with it. So moving on, uh, Run Rudolph Run was the next track. Um, I really like this one because it was kind of a doo-woppy rock and roll track. Uh, it was fun and fast. It kind of reminded me of Little Richie. You know, I just thought it was fun. It wasn't anything particularly amazing, but I thought it was just a fun track and kind of moved me through the album. Another one where I was feeling kind of meh, and not because it was too samey to the old stuff. I just I didn't really enjoy the song as a whole. This was a little ineffable for me. I loved the keyboard. I thought the keyboard uh, in the background what was really, really nice or kind of very beautiful. Probably could have taken it uh, any number of good ways were it not a Christmas song. That's the problem. Wasn't feeling Christmas. Because Steve doesn't feel lyrics are enough to make a song Christmassy. No, I, I, I really don't. I do believe Which that is Christmas fair. is I wasn't a, is saying a... it as a jab. It's fair. I mean, yeah. but I disagree. Hey, Steve. Hey, Steve. Ditto. Ditto that. <laughs> yeah, I got... Because that's exactly... Being that's someone who doesn't really I got an Italian love, Christian next to me. I mean, he knows Being someone who doesn't love... Didn't love Christmas music and is slowly growing on it, if a song is Christmassy without sounding Christmassy, I can get more on board easily. Well, it, it uh, You know, to... Have it spoken back to me. It does seem like kind of a niche uh, 
really ineffable thing. I mean, how do you describe what a Christmas song is? The fact is, it's just uh, kind of following in the footsteps of a genre that has warmed so many hearts. I mean, there are people that share such a strong connection to Nat King Cole for what he was able to do. And the, everyone loves when that, that the strings come in and then suddenly his voice, it's like he's laying you down to bed. Like, But I feel like Christmas gorgeous, also gorgeous. is like, a, especially when it comes to Christmas music, I feel like holidays are so much closer to... You personally and your personal experiences that you're going to judge certain things much more harshly personally. In this case, I fully, fully admit that I'm coming with this from a personal angle. It just happens to be shared by a lot of people who had similar things, you know, similar experiences growing up. It's a a niche genre after all. If if it was more about personal experience with music, I just probably would have went meh, meh, meh down the list. But you know what? There's a lot of redeeming qualities in this song. And... (sighs) Oh God! It was it was the next song. All I want for Christmas was actually I I I, I have really enjoyed it. Yeah, this, this was, was surprising because I've heard a thousand one versions of this one. Yeah, this had really uh, great vocal technique. Um, very upbeat. Uh, I was actually getting into this. I mean, I, I'm not. It wasn't I'm, not the, I'm not a total crab. I don't need to be like you know the, the solemn the, Christmas the, music. The solemn, yeah, yeah, the solemn, almost depressing, but still happy. Yeah. Old school version. This was more in line with the actual lyrics. The fact of the is, every song. once in a while, you do need the pick me up. You do need the party of Christmas. Your family, you know, to to kind of get going a little bit. And if if I was gonna choose a song for that to happen, probably be this. Mm-hmm. It's in there. Yeah. No, it was solid. It was all around solid. I wrote down that it was very generic but fun. It wasn't something amazing, but I liked what he did with it. I thought it was and very I, well done. Did, once again, where Matt's inexperience with this sort of stuff is showing through, because we've heard a thousand mm. and one's dour versions yeah. of this song. Yeah, yeah. And very it was much so. nice to actually find something while generic as a style of, of what it did if it was not Christmas. Yeah. Which dour. is kind of... Dour. I'm p- pulling out the good words today. I, I like said, that. Yeah, I like that. It was very good. You're proud of that, right? Yeah, oh, seriously. Seriously. Um, <laughs> All you bow down, because... No. The next song, the next song I have issue with because I really don't enjoy this song in any of the forms I found it in, except for the fact that it is truly always beautifully sung. Mary, did you know? Yeah, Mary, did you know? I really can't, don't care for it at all. But regardless of how someone sings Mary, did you know, it's sung beautifully. Yeah. And Sheila was no different. Yeah. He's got a great voice. He sang it very beautifully. It was very epic. But I've... I, but heard I'm not, I heard it before. Yeah, I don't love the song yeah. either. I'm not averse to uh, to the to the particularly religious side of things um, I, when it comes to Christmas. Um, you know, and not to say that you have to be overly religious, but there is there is something to be said for you know this is not this is not the dark side of of religion. This is this is the light side. This is when religion really does has and has uh, br- brought warmth to people's hearts for thousands of years when they do feel compassion for your neighbor and all that stuff and i felt that this kind of exuded that i i wasn't i wasn't as down on it it did have the solemn tone to it this really brought it back and i thought he did this t- tastefully i didn't have any issues per se and then we get to track 12 which is the most depressing christmas song that i know of and i had river. never heard before um river <laughs> was sad and simple it was to say i didn't like it I didn't dislike it, but it's horribly depressing, but beautifully sung. Originally by Joni Mitchell, you say, right? I believe so, yeah. Um, River? River is not exclusively a Christmas song. While it is themed towards it, it's actually 
more than that. It's a story. Um, and yes, a very depressing story. But one with that infusion of Christmas in it. The infusion of the holiday spirit within its original uh, style and this. Changed it from just being, I'm cutting myself, to something that's like <laughs> reflective but sad. This brought depth to the album for me. Yeah. Whereas otherwise you might just have, you know, a, a bunch of covers without arc. This really kind of, I thought it was a, excellently placed. Because you sure as hell don't want to open with this song. No. That's depressing. You really don't want to close with the song. You don't want to people, leave with people, people with that note. Yeah. But, you know, middle end, really, really well placed. You know, just one moment to think about what you've lost. Yeah. And not only what you have. It's, um, it's important. And then they bring it back up a bit with, uh... Merry Christmas, Baby, which featured Rod Stewart singing with um, CeeLo Green. And personally, I love Rod Stewart's voice. I think he's got a great kind of raspy rock and roll voice at this point. And I, I didn't hate it as much as John thought I was going to. Well, we were I'm usually not a fan of raspy voices. My, my favorite song for Christmas, and I do have a favorite. Like I said, I'm out of my Grinch boat. But my favorite song for Christmas is Santa Claus is Coming to Town by Bruce. Mm. I love that song. It's a fun song sung to it it's got rock and roll and it still keeps the christmas spirit i love bruce's raspy voice in that song call, call it biased i'm not a fan of bruce springsteen particularly it could be just a bias against the voice and something i can't get past with that but that's just how i am now rod stewart interestingly enough you thought that was going to be a perfect crossover because it was raspy but that wasn't uh the end of the story here i actually do like a couple of rod stewart songs I really like that song Handbags and Glad Rags that was used for the UK Office intro. The UK Office. Yeah. Stuff. Yeah. Anyway, I like that song. Uh, I mean, I and, always and... love Forever Young by Rod Stewart. That right. song is just a great song. But his use here... And... I didn't like it. <laughs> I didn't like it. I don't know. I, I was I okay like with his... it. I thought it actually blended... I thought he harmonized beautifully with CeeLo. No, I, I agree. Good. No, he's better doing rock. This was a little too sweet and soft for his voice. He's done plenty of sweet and soft. Uh, no, no. It, it's handbags got... and Glagmas is soft. But they, they still have uh, bigger rock undertones that complement his voice better. Uh, I didn't Forever really... Young is very slow and doesn't no, have big rock overtones. But it's a rock song. No, it is. <laughs> what would you put it at? It's it's rock. It was ballady for everyone. Yeah, young. it's a rock ballad. There's those. And anyway, f- and finally, my second least favorite song, "Silent Night." I disagree. I thought this was a great had a great backbeat to it, and the the instruments played over the backbeat well enough that you weren't distracted by the repetitive backbeat, and it was a grand <laughs> ending to this this album. I thought it was a perfect exclamation point on this record. Oh, dither, dither, dither. I mean, you had said before that you can't screw up certain classic Christmas songs just because they've been done so many times that, uh, you know, their structure and their instrumentation is almost etched into our brains uh, as long as we've heard them. I think I said exactly that. You said very, yes. Oh, you wrote it down. Yeah, well, no, I, I, um, I actually, I'm actually conducting this from memory. Okay. Certain things stick. Sometimes I listen to you. (laughs) Not often, though. In this particular case, seriously, Silent Night, I, I, I thought this actually proved your point, and it's ironic that you that you disliked this version, because I thought it was well done. It had a very grand uh, quality to it. I think this is going back to Baby It's Cold Outside. I felt like they went a little bit too far, because Silent Night, 
is a very solemn song, and it's hard mm. to truly keep the spirit of the song. It, it, it you can't go too big. I well, I will agree with one thing. This was almost close to uh, with the backbeat again. Same yes. problem. Uh, it was a little bit prevalent, but it did have a march-like quality, which was the, it was it, it kind of perpetuated the song rather than overshadowing the melody, which of course everyone should really be focusing in is the melody and the voice. The voice. Um, not my favorite version. I'll admit yeah. that. So certainly not. There's well, been my favorite th- versions of Silent Night are all pure yeah. vocals, no music at all. They are truly choir pieces. Certainly. I, and I that, solemn, that, that solemn nature, I can't divorce it from Silent Night. Maybe that's, maybe that's it. It could be. It a, should be down key, in my opinion. You know what? I'll, I'll respect that. I, 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 me, personally, I like the difference on it. I like the different spin on it. It is game. different. Now, okay. To, to wrap up, because I really, when I came here, and we listened to it, and then we close up, and I was starting to hate on it. And I was starting to hate on it because it was Christmas, and there was so much to it, and it was it was different. I have to hand it to CeeLo that it was different, and it was solidly different. He did divert on plenty of songs to make something unique. But in a lot of cases, he didn't do something I liked. And since he didn't do something I liked, I really can't rate it too high. I mean, some of the songs... Run Rudolph Run, Silent Night, The Grinch. I mean, he lost me on the Christmas spirit. But there's enough goodness there and a, a solid production. Three five. Okay. Um, yeah, yeah. I'll, I'll let I'll let our Jewish residents go last. So I'll go for. Um, let's say, I I think you, John. I think you underestimate. Uh, <laughs> What really you can expect from modern Christmas music, because I've heard so much trash, so much trash, kind of relating with the same stuff that I said before, how I don't think the Christmas song, you know, just has a, a jingle in the background and a backbeat, and then all of a sudden, bam, Christmas song in the bank, and it could be done by any pop artist. I really think it takes a lot more um, care th- and taste than that. And the fact is, I'm so unimpressed with songs in the Christmas genre for the last 20, 30 years, I, I stick with the stuff that is um, 30, 40, 50 years old, and hell, let's go with the carols, hundreds of years old. I think that stuff really stands the test of time. And I I don't think that anything modern can. Amongst that, man, he did a good job. I'm sorry. I, I don't expect this caliber of work these days. Therefore, I, I the Christmas spirit has entered my heart, and I think it is it does not hold quite up against the classics, but he did a good enough job. This is a four. This is a good. Good. Not great, but not average. Good. Okay, being someone who obviously didn't grow up with a lot of Christmas music, I know, you know, Charlie Brown Christmas, I grew up with that and I watched that movie every year. I loved all the Charlie Brown movies. But it was more because of it being Charlie Brown, less about being Christmas. I like the Great Pumpkin and all that stuff, too. Shut up, John, your mouth is open, but I know you want to interrupt me. Um... <laughs> Moving forward, as an album, first of all, I'm a big CeeLo fan. I loved Lady Killer. I thought it was a great record. came out a while ago now. can't believe that F.U. came out so long ago at this point, but I think CeeLo is a great artist, and for me, it's like John's having issues out of the corner of my eye, and I don't know what his problem is, but it's distracting me. He's doing everything really slowly. It's freaky. I'm in the Matrix or something. 
But as an album, I think it stands up really well. And as a Christmas album, it stands up even higher, especially for me, someone who tends to be a Scrooge during Christmas and not really like Christmas music. I've been listening to this album constantly. Um, but now, does that that dislike of Christmas? Sorry, I got to interject here, but does that come from uh, the influx of Christmas music that surrounds the radio, or perhaps your Jewish experience that you didn't always feel included within it? Um, I think it could be a little of both. I mean, I did, I had I grew up with quite a few Jewish friends, also, especially in my young childhood. It was until I hit high school where I had a lot of friends who weren't Jewish because most of my local friends who lived near me were. But I think it was mostly I just. I didn't really like Christmas music. I just, for whatever reason, didn't like it. Because it some of it was too Christmassy, I guess, for me, or whatever. Which and is why I don't have that same disdain for more modern stuff that you do, I think. Because most of the modern stuff sounds like just music. So I'm mm-hmm. more on board with it because it just sounds like music. But with CeeLo Green's album, there was enough mix of stuff that was could just be music and stuff that was clearly Christmas music, but done in his way. That it kept me on board. And what really won me over is I liked the album, and then I heard track seven. I'm a huge Grinch fan. I watched that growing up since I was a kid, right along with Charlie Brown Christmas. And I love this acapella version. I had none of the complaints that you guys did. I thought it was just well-made, clever, original, and it won me over. And for me, this is not only a good Christmas album, but I think it's a very good album. Because I could listen to this even not during Christmas. So, for me, this is clearly easily a 4.5 for me. Because I think the quality of CeeLo's work is very good. More than very good. And, like, that's why if we ever go back to do older albums, I would like to talk about Lady Killer. Because I, I'm really fascinated with CeeLo's work. I, in high school, listened to Montel Jordan, who is a very much flash-in-the-pan R&B artist. You know, everyone knew this is how we do it and a bunch of his other songs. But he was very flash in the pan. CeeLo Green, however, has the staying power as an R&B artist. And I really think he has the the ability to become a very... I mean, he's already a big star and be even bigger. So for me, it's a 4.5 because I would definitely listen to this outside of Christmas. And that's the biggest Christmas win you could make. Okay. I'm going to just say one thing. And... You're rating it as an album, which is what I did. As a Christmas album, I actually would consider this quite unique, quite inventive, and actually would rate it higher. But we're going to rate this as an album. Um, and I guess I, we always have to take a look at things as an album, which is what we did with Wreck-It Ralph. As a soundtrack, we rated it as an album as, as well. Fair enough, but I, I can't ignore uh, the subject. But the very fact, dude, I gave it a 35 and I've been hating on Christmas for weeks. So I that's know, a no, ringing I, I, endorsement I, I, from me. I, I understand that. Yeah. I mean, even 3.5 isn't like, uh, isn't like centered average. It's probably right. slightly above. Well, you couldn't rate this the same as No Doubt, because then you'd be saying he's, as, he's, he's mediocre like No Doubt's new stuff, and that's mm-hmm. not really fair to CeeLo. Yeah, yeah, and he's not mediocre. I, th- I just think it's hard to take Christmas and build it in such... Uh, take this Christmas music and do it into something new. I think, I think. Well, you know what the true test is, and a man, would I love to see this from artists out there. I hope you're listening. <laughs> Please write. Something. I want write something new. I want to feel Christmas in a warm sense that maybe I've never even felt before. So, I mean, I, at Nat King Cole, Bing Crosby, all those classic guys, Frank Sinatra, them and their the people who wrote for them, all those people, they 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 started something. 
in many ways, you know, they only kind of sort of built off the carols that existed beforehand. They really were incorporating the style of music of their time. And it's stuck. Yeah. So that's what I want to see now. I want to see what the next generation is. How are we going to have uh, Christmas for the 21st century? Not covers. Originals. And uh, I, I, I put that forward for next Christmas. I would love next Christmas to be an album of original 21st century uh, tunes. So to write a letter to Santa Claus, dear Santa... Yeah, that is my wish. Please I... force Skrillex to create a oh, unique <laughs> Christmas album. You know that's what's going to happen. Yeah, probably. You put it out into the ether and it's going to happen. Oh boy, the next, Dead Mouse is next gonna year show is going to be gonna very, be... very, very interesting. I'm already anticipating this. It's, it's 365 of, days away. I'm already Instead of blenders and toasters, he's just going to be shaking Christmas trees and caroling bells. Oh, Lord. Yes. Look what you started. Oh, the ideas are entering my head already. <laughs> this, this so, that is our Christmas things. album wrap-up. Um, now, the big subject of today. So, it's been my idea for months now to really put together a, a year-in-review uh podcast because I really want to I want to talk about the stuff that we've done because honestly the podcast has become a very big part of all three of our lives since we started doing it 25 weeks ago jeez yeah. so it, we've been doing, it, 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 we've been doing it a while and I really want to talk about I mean clearly there are albums we haven't gotten to albums we want to get to albums we'll try to get to albums we'll never get to but I want to talk about what we've listened to both on the podcast and off it and and really talk about the best because there was a lot of crap, but there yeah. was a lot of uh, solidity also this year. Um, we we had a couple of albums that all three of us agreed four four and a five four point five five star rating. Yeah, quite a few albums that were two. Yeah, we had a more, lot. Of a couple. We did have a lot of twos. In fact, we started off with a two, and and yeah. You know, it, we, we did get to be crabs. We really, really did get to sort of uh, unleash all of our anger at um, what we dislike here. But you know what? I, I, I've been I've been very appreciative of this this analytical experience because um, I taught you to listen to words. That's true. I, I think I think uh, John has given me a little bit more of his lyrical type. It's just funny because being like you know, I came from being an English and a music major, but unfortunately, I I, I always. Music gets me first. It's it's always been the way it's been. Um, but I do hope for that to change. I hope for me to take in uh, lyrics to the same extent. The fact is, at this point, at this stage, I need to be listening to a song several times and love the music before I can really get into the lyrics. But at, I hope that to improve. At the same time, I've actually learned a lot of intricacy. I uh, look back on a lot of things I used to listen to, especially in my earlier years, and I realize there's a certain shallowness to the... Uh, instruments themselves a, a certain repetitive nature and a lot of music i grew up with um and i'm starting to realize while i still like this music there is better stuff and i should be seeking this better stuff this newer inventions and i'm starting to really be able to dissect why i like songs and why i love certain songs well said this is christmas eve if i ever heard one i have to say and I think it was John who first yelled at me because he said he couldn't listen to music the same anymore like a couple weeks after he started doing the podcast. But it's a blessing and a curse because I've always been a very active listener. I didn't really listen to very much music passively. But but after starting to do this, like I've actually learned to appreciate music passively too now, which is something different. 
And and there's the fact that because of all the talking and everything like that, I spent a hundred bucks on a pair of headphones as well, <laughs> Just which to get I, us to I would to... not have done. A I do. Year ago. I do want to yeah. tease this like, hair. Your fine. Your budget will get with me what I need. And then I had <laughs> these full around ear things. And I was like, "Oh my god, there's bass." I, I want to tease though, and we're probably gonna we're gonna definitely try and do this very early in the new year. But we want to actually do a public service and listen to some different headphones <clears> with music and each headphones to measure intricacies and the detail that headphones provide. Because I really want to talk about are there benefits to earbuds. Over something else. Are you know, actually, actually, that's a that's a, a very very good idea because, um, you know, I also want to talk about how how albums grow on you, how music in general can grow on you because when you're listening to something for the first time, it really does depend on where you're listening to. Are you listening to it in earbuds? Are you listening to it on poor quality speakers, or are you listening to it on like? The most, the most excellent quality speakers that you can get your hands on, and then all of a sudden after that it's a downgrade no matter where you move it to. Yeah. really depends. Actually, one of my perfect examples is after I got these new headphones, um, one of the albums we reviewed, Thank You, Happy Birthday, Cage the Elephant, very early. It was like second, third week. It was my yeah. first pick. Yeah. Um, I liked the album. I already loved the album. Heard it on earbuds. Heard it with you guys. Listened to it on these headphones and heard intricacies I'd never heard before. Yeah. And now it's kind of different. The funny yeah. thing about that is I love when you listen to a song and you notice an intricacy that you never noticed before. And then going forward, you can't unhear it. And yeah. now you always notice it. Of course. I, I love when that happens personally. Yeah. Um, it's really, really enjoyable. Which is why this, this, this review, this year-end review is very, very important. Because we have listened to our stuff... Uh, Several times. I mean, we've we've gone over. Not usually when we're doing our reviews, it is based on first listen. I think there's something to be said for that first listen because that's what tells you what's marketable. You know, that's what that's what people are going to be judging on initially. A lot of people do not have the same patience, uh, but also there's the kind that that does and should grow on you. That people should be a little bit more patient with with their music and just see what happens. And with that, we're going to talk about something a little bit different. We, we, as I was looking back, and as Stephen and Matt and all of, all of us, we're looking back. We, Steve came up with this idea, and he started voicing it. And it was, we, we've always done these first listens on albums, but going back, we've heard some of these albums dozens of times now. Uh, some of them we've heard dozens of times in the last few weeks. Some of our reviews would actually change. Like, yep. I would actually say, but I want to I want to preface something here, and this is very important to me. We're not we're not changing our gut review. The ratings yeah, no, on the website stay. stay the same, but if we had a chance to go back and change it, if we would give them different ratings, these what might be what those ratings are. That's right, and maybe maybe at some point we'll add another category or another list for this if we're to be upgraded. But the the originals will always stay there because you should know what we felt at that moment because I think that might reflect what other people may feel at that moment and judge whether they're going to buy it or not. And I have to say, my first one is a concession to Steve. The Young Veins. When we reviewed them, I really did not enjoy the oldness of the music. Oh, and then, the, the it's, funny you say, style. it's funny you say oldness because even aside from their style, it actually is a couple of years old. This is before we had our... Um, our we, we generally stick with modern uh, of 2012 uh, albums. This one happens to be from 2010. And I gave it a 3.5, and I would bump it to a 4, solidly, 
possibly higher if I truly got into it. I gotta say, that's that's an example. I I I heard things after that first listen. Didn't hear it before. In the same vein. And I gotta I gotta talk about this one. Lincoln Park I gave a three, and I'm kind of ashamed <laughs> to have given Lincoln Park a three, because going back, it's really quite poor. Uh, I, I'd knock it down to about a two, not a slightly less. All right, wow. Any more, or is that it? Uh, yeah. Uno. We <laughs> talked about this last week. You said you should have given it a one. I should have given it a one as well. It yeah. really is poor music. Yeah, I, 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 in reconsidering, I suppose, even when I compare the, the the one song, you know, that was on Uno that I liked with the one song on Dose that I liked, I preferred the one on Dose. That in itself kind of sets Dose a little higher. I, I, I have, I have Dose at, at Dose, and Uno should be at Uno point cinco. Now you're getting Spanish fasting. That's right. And I have one more. Now, this one I kind of... Uh, I loved, but I kind of hated on a little bit because I didn't think they got all their act together. But Flowbots, honestly, it's become my favorite album of the year, if not the last few years. And you give it away? No, 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 no. <laughs> oh, okay. Well, oh no, it's actually not my best album of the year. Oh, okay. So we'll, but we'll, we'll get whole, deeper into this. This is near. This is just shy of a full five star, and I almost wish I gave it a five at the time. Wow. Well, that said, I'll I'll just uh, put my couple cents in here. I also have changed some ratings. I have had a lot grow on me. Um, Flowbots is one of them. Flowbots is hiking up to a 4.5. Okay. 4.5. I really, because honestly, I respect, I take a lot of things into consideration when I'm, uh, when I'm listening here, and I, I respect what it has done for rap. There was so much consideration in the other instruments there that I really was blown away. I have something else to focus on. Right and and because the rap is still prevalent and I like what I'm focusing on, I can listen to the rap, which is nice. That that's I I have so much respect for them for actually doing that to the genre. Um, in addition to that, um, I might actually lower surge a little bit. Just I I was very generous with them with the four point eight. That was very very recent actually. Surge yeah. surge tanking a few weeks ago. A few weeks ago, and I was pretty generous with four point eight. Uh, only on the grounds that I don't think it grows on you. I think it's very good on the first day. I think that it will surprise you in all the ways of people that might have originally loved System of a Down. But there are detractors on uh, the successive weeks, to be honest. Um, only musically. I think lyrically he's still wonderful. It, it literally only goes down to a 4.5, not, not lower than that. Mm-hmm. 4.5, I still think he did an excellent job. I would raise three bands. Monomena, Muse, and Ben Folds 5. I don't think you can raise Ben full five. Wasn't that like a four point seven? No, he gave that like a four point nine or something. No, I did not give it a four point no? nine. No, four point seven. I would probably move it up to a four point eight. Just not much. Just not much. En- just enough to go from the ninety seventh, ninety fifth to ninety eighth percentile. Yeah, like a true the, solid piece. Oh, we're doing percentile now. <laughs> Please, don't. but now you anyway, that's only by a minor margin. The the two biggest margins are Manoa and Muse. Manoa, I love the band. I, but I'm really trying to avoid the fact that I'm, uh, I, I have some nostalgia for them. They are a band that is the perfect example of the kind of thing that I think grows in you. I know that we sat around the table here and we all thought that it was a little bit sporadic, but I'm telling you, I think it's the kind of thing that if you listen to it several times, that sporadic becomes intricate. It's, it's, a, it's, a, it's something that I will attest, you don't have to believe it, but I've listened to that album many times and it, it, I only had it at 3.5, that is literally going up to 
4.25 for me. Four and a quarter. Four and a quarter. Okay. And then finally Muse. Muse, I also thought was a little bit sporadic. Now that I look back on it, the Muse, <laughs> they were doing a little bit more than I originally saw. I was originally trying to judge them against their standard, but seriously, I think uh, it was good stuff. They were 3.5 as well. I would move them up to 4.5. Wow. Major hikes. So I don't have that many changes because I actually have listened to almost all of the albums after we've talked about them, except for like the really bad ones, because I don't want to listen to those again. <laughs> um, first, I would agree... Actually, I have concessions and agreements with both of you. So with Steve, I agree that Flowbots, you know, I gave it a four at first because I thought it was strong, but, I, you know, I... I liked it. I didn't love it. And yeah, after listening to I it more... Know, I know that is the most played album this year you've got. It's one of. Um, and I've listened to it a lot, and I would definitely hike it up to a 4.5. I think that there's there are still two or three sto- two, two or three songs that I skipped. The intro, the... Interlude mood. and the ending. No. The interlude, the intro, the interlude, and then the one that sounds really haunted. I can't remember what it's called. I hated that one. I just didn't like it. I thought it wasn't well made at all. Um, it was the... It's track five. I can't remember the name of it, but it's kind of creepy sounding. Anyway, that that was a big detractor for me. But still, I would definitely bump it up to 4.5. And then to agree with John, Young Veins, I prematurely gave it 3.5. And then I listened to it constantly after that. Me and Mary both got very much hooked on it. So I would definitely bump that up to a 4. I thought it was a quality record, and I think it was very well made. Um, the concessions that you made about a couple other bands, Monomena, I've listened to a bunch since. I still don't like it. I just don't. Fair neither, enough. Neither do I. But and I, right. honestly, I don't. I don't but feel I Muse growing on me either. Me neither. But, but it's, it's more in the individual song basis. I think they had a lot. It's more about uh, where I where I like music going. I still would. I, the points that I leave off for them is yeah. still on the basis of arc. Yeah. But with that said, I still do. Uh, going back to listening to specific songs on the Muse album, I do really like. In fact, one of them comes up on my list later. Yeah, we're going to have a lot more of that. And in fact, to segue into that, I just want to put it out there that in general, looking at all the music we have, look at all the albums that we've looked at, I think it really has taught me to be objective. Because there's what I like and there's what I acknowledge. Yeah. I think that my ratings reflect what I acknowledge. Because I don't think it's really my place to set an outline of rules that only get me going and then hold the rest of the musical community to those guidelines. Right. I don't think that's fair. But every honest... But that's the beautiful thing about this review, is that we don't necessarily have to be beholden to any of that. We can say what we like and exactly why we like it. To make it very clear, all of our picks that we've all chosen for today are what we think is the best of the year, the best song of the year. Like, it's all us. The the specific categories are as follows, and we're going to go through this. There is the most technical... The most lyrical, or whatever we find to be the most uh, enjoyable lyrics, or relatable, right. or however you want to, however you define it's lyrics in your tr- life. Yes. Um, and then there's the most uh, catchy, which is pretty straightforward. Yeah. And the most creative or inventive, however you want to put it, something that you think is just uh, out of out of the norm, but in a direction that you enjoy. A unique flair. Yes. Ah. Ooh. Good. Very good. And then uh, finally, the most emotional. Which doesn't have to be any of the uh, above, but emotional is whatever Pure gets connection. you up. Pure connection, whether it's sad or happy or something in your life, whatever it has to be. And, and then we'll conclude with the best uh, song and the best album of the year, of the year for our each of us, respectively. Which and we feel incorporates any number of the above categories. 
in the right way. And then we got the booby prizes. We got some booby prizes we're going to yes. sprinkle through as well. Um, yeah, I think this was also very important because we've talked many times about how we, we all, and I'm going to say it and deal with it, how we all listen to music differently. And <laughs> it's come up very specific for us in... Steve is obviously a lot more technical. I'm a lot more related to emotion, and John is very much focused on lyrics. And I think it was important, and it was John's idea that we pick one reflecting each of those specific because we've clearly influenced each other over the last 25 weeks. You know, it, certainly. And and I very much like it. I'm very happy that we have, and I feel that that it really does prove my point that I've been saying so many times to death because we've influenced each other. You know, but when it comes down to it, any modern reviewer who reviews anything, if they don't admit that their personal tastes influence it at least a little, they're lying. That's it. It's almost impossible to completely review objectively. Now, it's not impossible to review mostly objectively, but your personal taste will influence something. But as long as you acknowledge it, it won't really affect, I think, people who are taking honor in your review. Certainly. So, to get into it. Our yeah. first category... Longest intro ever yeah, to a longest. segment. <laughs> Our first category is uh, music, the instrumentation. The, technical technical the technicality, however you define The that. layering and blending of the actual notes of the instruments. Uh, to start with, I'll go. This one is... I found to be a simple rendition with some intricate parts. Wrestling Israel... By the Flowbots. It had simple, steady, rising and falling violin work with intricate drum beats in the background, which threw every verse to to the uh, refrain, built to a crescendo-like waterfall, falling into a drum line and then starting it over again. I loved the cycle in this. It was just perfect music. And complemented with the voice work as well. Sweet, uh, a sweet feminine voice, a harsher uh, masculine voice that really just all together, musically, just did it for me. And that That's album really shines because they let the female singer sing a yes. lot more on this record. And I think she really carried that record and should be featured as much on our records going forward. Definitely. Uh, for me, Erase Me, Ben Folds 5. The opening track was such a reel in. It is, it is. It single-handedly goes down as, first of all, the best opening track, I think, on any album we've done this year. It it pulls you in with such a... It's kind of catchy in the beginning, to be honest. But then everything starts getting so much more complex. It drops you down. It's theatrical. It's powerful. It's inventive. It's showy. It's got a kick-ass piano solo. It brings back everything that Ben Folds was and more. It's definitely, I like, I've always said this before, the low end on the piano, I think those notes can be so much more powerful than the higher end, because it's just, it just it's so much more impactful, I feel. Yeah. And you, yes, that song definitely does show that. Yeah, and I, I feel that this, you know, part of this should be, be also about, like, what you want to connect with in other people when mm -hmm. it comes to technicality. I feel this is something you can jam out to with your friends, as far as it's a friend who, who really appreciates this kind of material. His piano work is incredible, and it's particularly the melody. The melody itself, I'm almost, it was almost uh, kind of competing for inventive, because I've never quite heard a melody like this. When he drops in every little breakdown, it's sudden. It takes you over. And there's so much going on in the background. The breakdown with the piano solo is just, I don't know, it's mind-blowing. It really is. I've never been more intrigued to see what else is going to be in an album. 
it's funny that you say that yours was competing for most creative because my pick for music also had the same thing, but it was a very different song. Mm. My choice was How Long by Matchbox 20. How Long was a great song because it did something I'd never really heard before. And Steve had pointed it out to me. And once I noticed it, it was one of those moments where I couldn't unhear it. And it was that up note on the synthesizer. <laughs> the up note. We, we actually referred that uh, many times as the up note because we could not Think figure out what else it was. It. We did actually figure it out, though. It was a bend. It, a bend. it was a bend. It's not that difficult. But, but, but. That, that bend was so unique. I'd really never heard anything like that before, at least in modern pop rock for sure. And you know it's amazing how the tiniest little things can just get you to that's that's the intricacy that you can't unhear. But I also love it because it just it blended that song so well. But it was also one little thing that improved the 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 technicality of that song and got me to listen so much harder that I kind of wanted to put it for most creative too. But I ended up putting it there because the music in that song. I like the lyrics in that song. They're not the best lyrics. They're okay lyrics, but the the music in that song just really pulls me in on that. Certainly. So that was definitely my pick for 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 music. Uh, moving on to our next pick, which is the song that drew us in lyrically. Yes. And so I guess I'll start this one going forward, and we'll wrap around the other way, leaving Steve Sounds still good. smack dab in the middle. All right. So for this one, I had a different pick until recently when talking to John I realized something so obviously I told you guys weeks ago I got to see The Hobbit at at a faster frame rate at a red carpet premiere and one song really stuck with me from that movie and it's all about the lyrics and it's the Misty Mountain song that the company of dwarves sing in Bilbo's house in The Hobbit this song is pure bass acapella not acapella, but pure bass singing. Oh, it might as well be acapella. acapella, sure. And for me, it it really just it. I can't get enough of it. It's only it's barely two minutes, maybe a little more. Imagine if these segments just became. It's just it's so <coughs> um and it, man, I wish you could just ah. Uh, yeah, that's, that's pretty we, much what this has become. Yeah. But, it, but that's how you know something. There, really there will be content you. though. Don't 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 turn it off. <laughs> <laughs> but but this song, I think that as far as lyrics go for the year, I mean, it took something that obviously had a great source material, but it just pulls you in. You feel this emo- this this emotion just from the lyrics of of how powerful these lyrics are, just by this company of dwarves singing it, and it was the actors in the movie singing it. I do have to say that bass really was pretty astonishing. It, it, it It's incredible. Amazing and how bass can just take you over. So that's definitely my song for lyrics. And I def, I'm saying it here and now. My first pick in the new year is going to be reviewing the Hobbit soundtrack. All right. Mine. I don't know if you remember it, but Skintercourse by Menomino. It comes down to this. Lyrically, I am not, I am not the most... I don't notice it on the first time. With almost any track, it we've already proved this. Like John is the one who's always down with the lyrics. He, we could listen to the song one time. He's already telling me the entire meaning, the entire story, the entire everything. I simply can't do that. It's a talent that I do not have. I'm just I'm stuck on music. And once the music reels me in, then I can go back and look at the lyrics and say and find that thing that I can sing along to. But what it really comes down to is the one-liners, because I I have a little bit of. While my ear is always on for music, I have a little bit of fluctuation, a little bit of ADD. It goes in and out when it comes to lyrics. But there's that one line that suddenly when I hear it, the, the, the English major back in me just turns on and I, I, have to, I have to give it props. And in this 
In this case, there was one after another after the other. Even while the song, I, I still found found the uh, song musically to be uh, one of the better ones on this on this album. But in this case, I can't identify the source of my overarching need to pry under your skin. Lines like that, I I, I have to just hand it down. I mean, this song basically. I fell in love with the feeling of being in love. That is the first line, and that is what it's about. It's about it's about the whole entire story, though, coming from the point in which he's optimistic to the point in which he's in the midst of it and not being able to pin what it is that he loves about them all the way down to the moment when he just wants to forget about her, her, the subject, whoever she is. And... I think I know that story. I'm sure a lot of us know that story. I find it to be... I can't call it a simple message, but it is told in many ways. And I love the way this is told. I almost chose a song for the exact same reason. I almost, I almost chose reality TV for the sheer audacity of the, of the lyrics. Audacity. Interesting. But, and while I did still choose a Surge song... There was something different in, different in deafening silence. That was the rap beatbox. Yes. Right. Which truly did something. And you know what? That was probably the biggest thing for me for the vocals on this song. Because there were so many songs I listened to this year that I truly loved the actual words being said. But the combination of Serge's range with a complimenting woman's voice that really just accented his, his stuff. I mean, it was amazing. Plus a full-fledged acapella beatbox in the background, and the lyrics, and there was just total beauty in the words being said, on every aspect. And I couldn't get away from it. I was going through all these albums, and I just couldn't get away from deafening silence. I really like how we all picked lyrical songs for completely different reasons. <laughs> yeah. I picked mine for a very literal, these are lyrics and that's yeah. it. Storytelling. And this is you a hard thing to for, do. You picked it for an abstra- a more abstract general storytelling. Well, that's why it was a hard and thing to do, because just aside from the general storytelling, I was very emotionally connected with the lyrics yeah. here, which is why it was a contender for the emotional and uh, mine, category here. Mine was actually quite literally not for the words, but for the tone. Yeah. I actually went musical on this. When but music on the honestly, lyrical tracks, we never know when we're gonna, where we're going to turn here. Yeah. Nobody but, can predict us. Our next category, catchy. Something that sticks in your head. Something that you can't, yeah, can't get, get rid of. Sort of like uh, sort of like, uh, like if a guy named Napoleon did a song. You just can't get rid of it. It's, it's stuck in your head. <laughs> My catchy song was Do It Anyway. I couldn't choose anything else. I still sing that song. I still hum along to it. It's a good one. Mm-hmm. Ben's Fold 5 created something that I really just connected with, and I could sing along to on the first try. And it's it just got a great tone, great mu- musical work. It's hard to get out of my mind. When you have a three-word repeating chorus, it's very easy to get that stuck in your and head. And it wasn't just the repeating chorus. It was the attitude changes between the repeat, repetition of the choruses that really just make it so much more than the simplicity of what it actually sounds like. Oh, we're going to wrapping it back around? I'm yeah. only in the middle here. You're not going to get to announce anything. Unbelievable. No, okay. Or conclude it. Clearly you have issues against that. Well... I I really don't have that much to say about this one, so I'm okay with it. This Panic Station by Muse. It's it's a very simple one, and it doesn't. It's not that it it had that much going for it. It was simple. 
exactly what we just said. Stuck in my head for weeks. Every single time I went back to that album, that's what I would go back to. I think it was a really, really well done song. And uh, amidst all the other colorful stuff on that album, this was the song that it seemed to go back to original muse. Old-fashioned muse. What you'd expect from a, a really, really good show. I would be jumping up and down if this was playing in concert. Seriously. Uh, I'm not even going to expand upon that. Really. So, my catchy song, the reason that this was a clear choice for me for catchy was because as soon as I saw the video and heard the song, the first time, I had to write a song shot for it. Immediately. Like, without hesitation. And it's Robbie Williams' Candy. This song is one of those songs, first of all, we already discussed how British pop music clearly leaps and bounds above our own pop music. But, beyond that, it was just a fun, bouncy track about a woman who gets whatever she wants, and... And it gets stuck in your head, and I was singing it over and over again. I still get it stuck in my head whenever I listen to it. So this is also in the vein of albums that I wish I got a chance to talk about. And it may still be a pick come the new year, because it came out back in November. So still within the relative recent. But uh, but this song has just had catchy lyrics, a fun beat, something you could dance to, and definitely very enjoyable. And the lyrics are simple enough to catch on the first try, so you're singing along from day one. So, definitely my pick for most catchy for the year. Absolutely. Um, why don't you start this one, Steve? Oh, I get to start something. Look at that. <laughs> Alright, well, then it's going to be a, a little bit repetitive here, because I have another pick for Muse, interestingly enough. For most creative is the category. And my choice, save me. And this wasn't... I, I, I took this under the framework of not just creative in general, but creative for the band that's doing it. I didn't expect this from Muse. It wasn't typical of them. The rest of the album, as off the wall as it was, and kind of unrockish, almost classical times, a little bit space age, whatever it was, we've come to expect from Muse. They've done that several, a couple of albums ago, and it was new for, for them then. And that's what's interesting, is that you'd think that, you know, once a, a rock band, a typical pop, kind of indie-ish rock band meets something that takes them to the next level. They, they were the opening for the Olympics, for Christ's sake. I mean, come on. You'd think that would kind of be their ticket, and that's where they're going. And yet, they didn't stop there. They took it in the next direction, the next level. They seemed like an ever-evolving band to me. And even though I wasn't quite on board with every single choice of theirs, this was the song that I want to come from them. This is where I want them to go, and this is where I want music to go in general. It was... It was refined, it was broad, it was dramatic, and yet it was ethereal. That's what I loved about it. And particularly, it was the guitar at the end. It was just... It was just guitar, right? It was just like like triplets or whatever it was. It, it kept droning on and on and on and on, and yet I was mesmerized. It was almost like an experiment in minimalism amidst an album that was so overly complex. I adored it. Leagues ahead of anything I thought. Maximalism maximalism. So that's that's what they usually do, and this is what they didn't do here. So it's funny that you picked Muse, because actually, for most creative, I picked Muse as well. Interesting. But I picked for a different reason. So yes, we expect Grand and these huge things from Muse, but Muse has done something a little different, for, even for them, that I can gauge, and my pick for them was Second Law Unsustainable, unsustainable which was part one of, of the Second Law tracks. The reason was because they actually used live newscasts in it, and they got almost they got kind of political and 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 um, 
fundamentalist and this kind of this thing that while you expect epic from them this was kind of like that next level and especially I like the kind of space age robotic singing which was also very new for them you know they were big about the, the lead singer's big voice and not so much this kind of letting the lead singer kind of take a background to this short story they're telling in this song that was definitely an interesting track it was it was I suppose it's because I've heard a lot of political music before that that wasn't, like, the style of it for Muse was definitely in an interesting direction. It's not something I see them expanding upon, but it was nice in its own right. And that's why I thought it was very creative for them, because it was definitely this kind of something different from what even Muse's epic. It was a different kind of epic that they were trying here. And while I don't think I would enjoy it if it were more expanded upon, for this track, this specific track, I thought it worked really well. Well, amidst my wishes, you were probably going to get your wish a little bit more than me, because that was the big single there. And uh, that's what I think is probably going to be the next step. Unfortunately, it seems like Save Me might get lost in the the doldrums of this album, because it's it's not the focus, but I love it anyway. My inventive is something we didn't actually do on the show. I've mentioned them before, and I must choose this because it's not a specific song. It is a whole album of something different. The Pandemic's Brain on Tap album. This is a ska band that had pure ska, had folkier ska, had salsa ska had jazz, had lounge music, had reggae. This was every genre of music set to a a, a bass, a guitar work, drums, and horns. Horns all over the place. There was such intricacies and songs without any vocals, which I truly love and hum along to. Every aspect, but one particular one. Scaramanga, which is... Ska. Romanga. Romanga. Uh, almost lounge music where I feel like Frank Sinatra should be singing along. And if Frank Sinatra should be singing along to this more upbeat, more modern style, jazzy tune, that's, that's, that's it. <laughs> it it's solid. <laughs> it, it, if I wanted Frank Sinatra to come back from the dead and sing to this song, that's saying something. Mm, it's an something. amazing album. It's a local band. It's a little hole in the wall type of group. Uh, listen to it, people. It's on iTunes. Check it out. And right. our last specific category, emotional. An emotional song is one you truly connect with. It's one that you... you. It touches something different. Now, an emotional song also has aspects of basically everything we've talked about so far. There's, there's lyrical, musical, inventive, and catchy pit, parts of every emotional song. May not hit everything, but for me, one song actually did. It, it reached everything. Affection. I could not. I couldn't choose any other song. All American Rejects created a song that ended an album that was a solid album to begin with, which touched me deeply. Affection had every aspect, and I heard love in a song so powerful, I, I, it can't be denied. There's a solidity in this, in this entire piece, which goes through transitions in and of itself, that I can't argue against. So for me, my uh, emotional song also... So I find I have lots of different emotional connections, happy, sad, you know, and anything in between. But 
I find songs that make me sad, I connect to more. Because affection is really actually about a song, a song about someone who wants affection and isn't really getting it. That's what the lyrics are really saying. Did you choose the same song? Yes. <laughs> affection by All American Rejects is also my emotional pick because it's between the strings and this, this sweeping, almost score in the background of this song, along with the standard instruments and the beautifully sung lyrics, like, every time I heard that song for the first couple weeks I heard it, I cried. Because it's just so beautiful. You know, and, and it's just one of those songs that you know that this song came directly from Tyson, the lead singer's heart. Like, based on personal experience, he's singing about someone he can't get what he wants from, that he feels out in the wings with and wants to feel that affection. He put into words something that authors, musicians, filmmakers have always tried to do. He actually put affection into something attainable. And it's so aptly and simply named. And that's why it got my pick as well for my my most emotional song this year. Alright. Well, I'm sorry to break up the affection it's ejaculation. Okay. Um, it's yeah. But, I mean, I mean, to be fair, it was, it was close. But... Uh, mine was Thank You for Breaking My Heart by mm, Ben Folds. That's a good choice. Which is a- ironic because I was biting my tongue while John, a little bit earlier, off air, was using that as an example for something that could have been. That's actually the one I crossed out and wrote affection next to. Okay, so we're all pretty close yeah. on this. Yeah. Anyway, the real uh, exceeding factor here. Um, I wonder how affection may grow on me in years, but there's something about this song here. It was a close contender for lyrical, until I realized that I was crying not from the lyrics, but from the piano, Yeah, particularly. It, it is everything you want a song to be and don't want a song to be. I, it combined the message with the music in the most appropriate way. I, I, can't, I feel the pain, I feel the sorrow of leaving what you love in every little trickle and particularly, it's it's just it's one line. It's he goes through his verses, and then it's that do 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 do. It's like it's falling down. It's like yeah. you you can hear the teardrop in the music. That that's what made me cry. Yeah. I mean, I, I can't know. I I can't even describe what can possibly achieve that same end of what we've listened to. Aside from that, I I have to say, being that... a piano player, it helps because I'm crying to myself half the time. You know, I. <laughs> Well, it's pretty much emo- masturbation. There's an emotional but... tone in pianos that is hard to replicate with other instruments. It is. It is. And... The, they teach the fine art of that for years. Yes. <laughs> and, and the funny thing about that is, even though Affection was one that I connected with the most, that song was also there too for me, especially because when I saw them live during Comic-Con, like, it was almost impossible to not cry standing in the crowd listening to play that song. Because hearing it live, you get... Oh, I'd be weeping on the first person it's next just... to me. I don't care who. It... it... It just, you get that. And I think that also, it very much lends itself to that song. And that was definitely a good pick as well. You know, there's the expression tear jerk. Tear jerk. Like, this tear is jerk. literally tear jerking me. Like, yeah. you ever hear that, you feel that flutter of crying? We're really getting, like, we're, our man cards are being <laughs> totally taken away by all that. Kind of that, that, like, it, yeah. it's just like, it's like in an, the, the uncontrollable kind. Not yeah. just the single tear, but, but the yeah, uncontrollable kind. That, that, that's stop. what this yeah. is. Yeah. And we're going to bring it down a notch here. Our first booby prize, best effort. We want to do the boobies before the best. Yeah, yeah. I want to do the boobies first. Oh, man. 
<laughs> I just heard that. Yeah, that's soundbite. <laughs> oh man, soundbite. Hello, uh, best effort in oh, that we heard this year. Best try. It didn't hit everything this this category, but you know what? They came really close, and I want them to do more. And our choice is the script. And I agree. They did a solid job. I think that they were mm. riding that line. They were definitely a three for us, but they were riding that line where they were so close to being something more. You know, we. I, this I think is the we, best effort they ate for effort. They yeah, ate for effort. I think we all agree that we really wanted more from them. We expected something, and we, yeah, as just far as Top was concerned, I was I was definitely impressed within the genre, and I was rooting for them to do more. And I would definitely like to hear their next yeah. album. Yeah, so we, you know, yeah, actually, I believe that Echo's, I'm, I'm having deja vu here. I'm sure I closed my synopsis of that album with that exact same thing. Yeah. This is a band that I have high hopes for. They may not be there yet, but they could be. After all, you know, going back to what I said about Muse here, they started out pretty pretty low-key. Yeah. And look what they've done. Yeah. I mean, Prelude is, is an example for that. I yeah. Mean, again, Olympics! Yeah. God damn it! Yeah. They represented their nation. Yeah, Holy crap. true. And so I have a booby prize to award as well, oh. and it's the Bonehead Award, and it goes to Adam Levine of Maroon Five for alienating his entire band with their new album this year, <laughs> which I gave my lowest rating to because, see, Adam Levine, you want to release a solo record, then do that. Don't release a solo record and then slap your band's name on it when only one song actually had instruments in it. I, I, and now this comes from a place of love because. I love Maroon 5. I really do. Their first couple albums were great. Okay, Adam Levine, if you're listening, I gave songs about Jane to my mother. She loves it. How does that say? What does that say? What does that say about my music? It was pretty good back then, wasn't it? Well, where is it now? Yeah, well, you really dropped the bomb, didn't you? So, uh, are we being tongue-in-cheek? Yes. Yeah, I think we are. So, you know, I think that... I think that... uh, (laughs) Quite, quite. I think that you need to get your head out of your ass, and if you want to release a solo record, do that, and maybe you'll get a, more, a better rating if you're honest with yourself. And the golden turd for best WTF moment goes to Lotus. Yeah, definitely. This, I, def- I okay, we, I didn't listen to it with them, I didn't give a rating on this, but I did listen to it. What the frick was that? It was definitely one of those things where Steve uh, wanted to challenge us and catch us off guard, and he sure did. And yeah, he did. was challenged and caught off guard and trying to go, I think Steve, no, why I, is my I, ears bleeding? Let's put it out here. I, you know, there were a couple things where when you showed us Flowbots, you had already listened to it. Yeah. I literally took a gamble with myself here. Yeah. I wanted to see whether, you know, I, I had heard sound bites and certain songs of previous Flying Lotus. I was intrigued. This was it. This was it. I really did not know what to expect here. The fact is, this is what this guy does. Yeah. He, he, he's a soundbite guy. Yeah. Soundbites are not going to hold the attention, and they're, they're certainly not what I was repeatedly emphasized in composition class yeah. as an overarching... There's nothing overarching here. So, you know what, I'm, I'm going to agree with you. That was... That probably was, was the, uh, the WTF of our, our 25-week experience. Yeah, I, I definitely I definitely agree. I just and Nelson Lugo also his jaw was on the floor. I mean, we brought in this guest to replace John because he had murdered him, and then we raised him from the dead. And I got better. <laughs> so like <laughs> we were better. like, and we all agreed there were moments that we enjoyed, but most of the time we were just going, "What the hell is this?" And I kind of I kind of wish next time they should just get like cardboard cartons. And throw darts at it, and that might be more cohesive. 
of a soundbite. I mean, there was just so much randomness. The reason it was why, up, down, and all around. You know, the reason why it's WTF is because I recognize the fault at play. You know, I try to. I'm aspiring musician, but I know my. I know my faults. I know my flaws. I've I've gone through this many times, and one of those key flaws. Seriously, I've experienced this on my own terms. Is finding this great sound. It's really really good. It's you, you love it. You just. It, it, but it lasts for several seconds. <laughs> Then you, you play it over and over and over. You're just so in love with it, you though, take it until you serious. realize that you haven't gotten any further than several seconds. And then you get lazy, and you get confident. You go, you say, you know what, I did a good job today. I deserve dinner. I deserve a lobster dinner, right? Because I did so good with this wonderful little song. And then the deadline's up, and you're like, shit, crap, all I got is an idea. I'll just repeat it several times. <laughs> several thousand times. Steve needs in- a hug. Yeah. There's some issues here. <laughs> the point is, I realize it. I realize this error, and I would not market material like that. I'm too self-conscious to market material like that. If I, by all stretches, in amateur, realize that error, you should too, Flying Lotus. You should too. And that brings us to our next category. The worst. The booby prize for the worst. This is outside of just WTF. This is literally something you thought, you know... I don't even know whether it should have had any expectations. This is not. This is really no guidelines. This is whatever you feel to be the worst. And looking back at our 24 weeks, the absolute worst has to go to our first, Linkin Park. Yep. Really, really did not like it. If I say that that's tired, but you know what? Even Green Day knows that they have a stronger audience. And Linkin Park, I just don't think they're at that point where they can continue flushing out the same stuff. And they never hit a high point. They never... Re- I don't personally think they hit a high point in their discography. And uh, I think that was a good uh, exercise to really brush up our chops in determining what we don't like. Which is there's, just as important. There's a reason I chose to lower that album. Yeah, I, I wish I put it at a two. This is an album that really... They actually did covers of themselves and didn't even do them properly. They screwed up the words and screwed up the the chords and everything like that. And then I realized they were trying to make new music and I didn't actually hear it. Yeah. No, it was quite terrible. Almost, <sighs> at points, unlistenable. That's a word I like to use. I'll disagree that they didn't hit their high point because, honestly, I think their first album, Hybrid Theory, was one of their best works. But, that being said... That was their first album. And then their second album was okay. And their third album was okay. And then their fourth album was okay. And then this one was a pile of dog do. Yeah, they've only been rolling downhill on this. So, I just... I, I agree. It definitely gets the worst this year. So, who knows? Maybe someone can take that title from... Because from like, even though I rated Room 5 less, it was... That was, I think, purely based on rage and disappointment. But there were still yeah. songs that I liked off that record that I'll listen to. We all have our own things But like Linkin Park, I haven't listened to it since that day. Yeah, I've considered, uh, I tried, tried to find something in these categories for Linkin Park, and I ended up skipping every song on the album without even realizing it. I would hear the first 30 seconds and be like, oh, I already had that. Oh, I already had that. Oh, already. And I didn't even, I got to the end of the album, started going back to the beginning, didn't realize it. If you can do that, you're terrible. Yeah, I, uh, but, to, to be fair though, the only close contender was Uno. Uno yeah, really yeah, was a close yeah, contender yeah. because uh, yeah. they. It, it, Green, I gotta give them one thing: they actually tried to do something. They tried to be nostalgic. Yes, they tried to be nostalgic. Lincoln and Park also, doesn't even realize how 
the same they sound. Yeah, no, certainly not. And also, I think Green Day may just be deluded enough to think that their original... I don't know. I I know I'm speaking pure, pure bias here, but I think... They know that that was a big audience back then. Yeah. Why not do it again? Yeah. In their head, it makes sense. Why not make sense to me? Because if you take yourself outside of the music, you know. But Linkin Park never made sense. And we're gonna we're gonna go <laughs> away. We're, like gonna, we're gonna go away from these booby prizes and actually hit what we found to be the best of the year. First off, we've got the best song of the year. Best song of the year, and then we'll follow it up with album of the year. So I will start with song of the year. So this is my favorite song this year. This was a tough choice. There are a lot of songs I really liked, obviously, and a lot of them came up in categories that we we spoke of. And if we hadn't had those alternative categories, it would have made this choice a lot more difficult. But to me, clearly the song that I have to pick this year for Song of the Year was Radio by Matchbox 20. Radio by Matchbox 20 not only stands as a great song, but they did this thing that, that me and John really caught on the first listen where they really did an evolution of music. They did different styles within one song. And the lyrics are just speaking to how important the radio is. Or was. It's not really important now. But how important the radio was. And I just thought it was fun, catchy, great. The lyrics were strong. The music was strong. And it just, it flowed so well. And Matchbox 20 really, I mean, I've always been a huge Matchbox 20 fan. But this song is definitely up there with my favorites by them. Like 3AM and, and Real World. Radio, I will listen to forever. Hands down, it was a great concept. And I gotta say, it was. It wasn't. I saw something else. I saw it wasn't just how important the radio was, but how important it is to expand one's taste. Yeah. And I have to hand it to them with that. On several further listens through, I got that sort of meaning in their song. How you you should expose yourself to new ideas, to greatness in certain areas. Um. My favorite song of the year. My best choice was Flowbots. Uh, this song, I spoke of it before, caused me to shut off the album. It spoke so powerfully to me. It was On Loss and Having. The first time I heard this song and every subsequent time, I got chills running through my body. It had everything I wanted for music and such a powerful message to me with Every aspect I was looking for, it it spoke to me on another level, and even today, I when I hear it, it does something to me. And if a song can do that, it's 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 amazing. It's what I it, it's something I could listen to and loop continuously rest of my life, or at least until I get tired of it, which hopefully would never happen with this. Yeah, we can't all predict the future, but we we have pretty good inclinations of it. Yes. Um. All right, mine. Alright, this may also take you by surprise, but it was, because it was a little bit selfish. I was quite a big fan of Heavy Is As Heavy Does by Monomena. I'm going back to Monomena again here. Monomena has something that I, 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 it may not be noticeable to absolutely every single person, because it can be sporadic, but seen another way, that sporadic nature of it is also really, really, really organized. There is a method to their madness, and I think they walked the line that, let's put it this way, next to something like Flying Lotus, which did not walk the line, they crossed the line many, many miles to the east, but I think that Monomenate represents the type of music that 
is right there in the curve of something that is just different enough, incorporates varied instrumentation, right? But is accessible enough, accessible enough to the average person. And of those songs, I would absolutely pick Heavy Is As Heavy Does. Every example of uh, our previous categories is present, which is why I had to pull out the lyrics again, because I, interestingly enough, they were my favorite lyrically, and I, there is something that just draws me to his voice and his poetry. I mean, this was a ballad, particularly. Heavy are the branches hanging from my fucked up family tree, and heavy was my father, a stoic man of pride and privacy. It's a story, it's different, it's something different from what the average band out there is doing, and I appreciate them for it. As far as musically is concerned, ah, uh, it, it's, the reasons why I love this song are innumerable, and I would equate the musical arc of this song to Erase Me uh, by Ben Fold 5. The arc of this song is very, very similar, though not as overt, and I thought that slight little reserved nature of it was exactly what needed to be at this point in the album. Dead center, this was what was present. And last but not least, I'll just throw this out there. Creative, there's a guitar at the end that I've never heard this style done elsewhere. The guitar is bending consistently for, well, upwards of a minute. And it actually follows the melody, but it pulls you back and forth. They're exploring the notes in between the notes, the, the quarter sharps, the quarter flats. That stuff was a new level of dissonance that I, I would love to see more of. And in pop music. And I do call them pop rock, despite their uh, differences. I put them in that category. Okay, and then uh, coming back to me, we'll start with album of the year. Um, so this one was really hard for me. Um, there were clear contenders for me. Um, I really wanted it to be Matchbox 20. I did. I love that record. It's one of my fives. I really wanted it to be that record, but the thing about Matchbox 20 is it's not different enough for me to give it album of the year. I like it, and it's definitely a five because it pushed me to an emotional level that a lot of other records this year did not, but it just didn't make that little extra step to make it my favorite choice. I couldn't. I couldn't pick it. That's why it showed up so prevalently in my single song choices, because I clearly do love things about it. But hands down for me, my album of the year is Ben Fold's five, newest record. The life, the sounds of the life of the mind. It just, it, it was, went in so many directions, did so many things, and it proved that I still think the piano is a dominant animal. As great as guitar is, piano just does something musically to me and emotionally to me that, that a lot of other instruments can't do. And Steve spoke to this with some of his picks, and it, and it really was true. I mean, Erase Me was a strong start. It, and it just, it climbed from there, and then it knew when to drop it out. And, I mean, Do It Anyway is a very fun song about singing along and not giving a damn. And it just had all those things. It just had all those things that made me really appreciate it as, as a full record. There's not a song I don't like on it. And not to say that there was songs I didn't like on Matchbox 20 or 6, but Ben Folds 5 really impacted me. It was an unexpected hit for me. Whereas Matchbox 20 and Eve 6, I was pretty confident I was going to like. I was pretty confident I was going to give a high rating. But Ben Folds 5, I had no idea what to expect. I just loved the single. And I was absolutely and completely blown away by that record. And that gets my 
Matt Storm album of the year goes to Ben Folds Five. And I, I okay. Remember, if you if you if you can't make waves, if you can't make a scene, if you can't go big, draw dicks on the wall. Just draw dicks on the wall. It's true. Uh, I was so close to picking that album, like within a very very tiny margin for everything that you just said. I, I suppose the only like first of all, it did have the strongest introduction and it had the strongest conclusion. I suppose the only part that I could not get on board was a little bit in the middle. There were a couple of tracks in there which did not necessarily stick in my in my brain. Like I perhaps if I listened to it several more times, I could I could make them stick. But some of this stuff should just you know come organically. Um, great album, but I gotta go. And this is really off the wall considering what we said about it. I think I'm going with Second Law, Muse. For many of the reasons why I said it grew in me. I think it's a very important thing. While as much as the initial brunt is important, I think that growing on you is equally important. And this is this is my pick, so I'm going to be selfish here. The fact is, every single song on that album, as crazy as it was sometimes, it's all memorable. And it's all varied. It's all different. It's all going in new directions, not just rehashed directions. Sometimes they rehash themselves, but whenever they rehash themselves, they introduce a new element. Every single song had something going for it. And I already said this in Save Me, which I think was the most varied, the most diverse song on the album. I'd love that to be New Muse. But when it comes to every other song, I'm telling you, they can orchestrate. They have good command of their lyrics. They can be catchy. Every single element was present on this album. Say what you will about Ark. They, they have the most... Of what I've seen here, I think they have the most talent. My pick came to me... It kind of snuck up on me. Uh, I came to the conclusion that this was my song, uh, my album, and I tried to change my mind. I really did. <laughs> but I chose this album because I was in my car, listening to all the music we've listened to, trying to go through the different parts and try to figure out everything that we just talked about. All the different songs and where they go and how I would rate them. And I listened to the first track and then I kind of forgot what I was doing because then I listened to the second track and the third and the fourth and I realized something. I stopped trying to do work and I just enjoyed the album. I didn't skip anything and I realized, again, I never skipped a song on this album. Every single time I've listened from to the first song, I've listened to the ending. Every song on this album, and that is the All American Rejects, Kids in the Street. The entire album is a solid piece. There are other songs on Search Tanking I skip, Flowbots I skip, Ben Folds I skip. But there's nothing I'm going to skip on All American Rejects. It is a solid front to back one single story. That's interesting that you use the same, uh, that's kind of how I, I equated it to Muse. The, only because, like, I consider each track to be so, so unique. I can't, I, that was pretty much it. I couldn't, I can't skip it. If I remember all of it, that's gotta be important. And that's what you use for, for Kids that's in the Street. That's how I pretty much felt about Bound 5 and why yeah. I picked it over These Matchbox are, 20. And honestly, while Muse wasn't top tier, it was in the top five. Yeah. After all, we're only looking at 25 albums here, so even our best is going to have flaws of their sorts, because we're only looking at 25 albums total. I mean, certainly in the future, we'll be pulling from a much bigger uh, bucket. 
which is going to be really hard to do. And I'm going to have to start deleting music and just like, oh, that was terrible. I will say this about All American Rejects, though. It did have, of a lot of the albums we listened to, the clearest progressional arc. It did have the clearest progressional arc. It was immaturity, realization, growth... And then recognition. No, I got, I got all of that. It's, it's very interesting. I, I mean, I guess. And the funny as, thing as much is, as I talk about arc, it's interesting that I chose to sacrifice art, arc for ingenuity in this one particular uh, instance. I don't know. I just that's that's how I was feeling at that moment. Yeah, and I, but I think that's very, very telling can, for our choices. I think yeah. it, and it's very important for these album of the year because album of the year doesn't have to be the best album ever made. It's just of course to not. what we want. Are, are it's you... what we want, and not even what we want in general, but what we want at that time. Yeah. I mean, I, I, I personally feel that this is an important time for ingenuity. I think we need to break away of, from pop traditions or the pop, uh, the pop medium that is dragging so many of us back because we don't want to look for other things. And I think all three of our album choices pull in different directions away from that. I, I yeah. feel like our album choices try to showcase ingenuity. With Steve, with with Matt, a soulfulness, with my own um, a growth, a progression, a true growth, and this is what a lot, uh, what is really missing from a lot of what kids listen to in more mainstream music. And I'm not just saying pop; I'm saying in general, everything, because I listen to a huge variety, and a lot of what we talked about over the year, and a lot of what we haven't talked about over the, this this half a year, is. There's just mediocrity surrounded by us. There's a lot of mediocrity surrounded by us. Certainly. And it's so hard to point out. And I gotta tell you, the, however many listeners we have right now, trust us on these. This is the one <laughs> time I truly say trust us on these. These are not mediocrity. Yeah, these albums are the three albums three albums you definitely want to check out above and beyond anything else. I would wholeheartedly say that. It's a good selection. I mean, we have... Five songs of separate categories for the three of us. That's 15 right there that you should really check out. Some crossovers. Um, and two really solid... Uh, th- uh, my math is failing me right now. It's fair. <laughs> three solid albums and three solid songs that above right. and beyond stand on their own feet as songs that are worth checking out and albums worth checking out. Very much so. And in closing, before we uh, end this uh, meaty, meaty podcast... Um, I definitely want to do uh, another fan email because I think that they're important to, to honor our fans. And, and it's to give you a voice. Yes. And I by, mean, it, um, it sounds a lot like Steve, but it's to give you a voice. Yes. And, um, Today's, you know, we, we would like other people to comment and join in other than, I mean, uh, sure, our very much so appreciated uh, fan Abercrombie Sale. Not to uh, demean him in any way. We just want other people to comment. You know, people. People. But let's still hear what he has to say. Great, I should certainly pronounce. Impressed with your site. I had no trouble navigating through all of the tabs as well as related info. Ended up being truly simple to do to access. I recently found what I hoped for before you know it in the least. Reasonably unusual. Reasonably unusual is likely to appreciate it for those who add forums or something, website theme, a tone's way for your client to communicate. Excellent task. Me fail English? That That's impossible. impossible. Certainly the, the, the hands-down quotes here. Reasonably unusual and excellent task. Yeah. 
I, I'm, I, um, we are all reasonably unusual. I actually think that was pointed. Yeah. Or quite pointed of that, of and as always, sale. we'll take that under consideration. Yes. We definitely will. We will take that under consideration. Does anybody have any final comments? Final lyrics? Final I think, quotes? I think, I think you're both wrong. And <laughs> I think I don't really care what John has to say, so it's a fair exchange. Oh, no, uh, no, um, uh, everyone listens to music differently. No. I really do think that's, that's the, why that's I use the, my tagline. the quote of the year. It is, but I think it's it's also very important. Um, well, so this is the point of the podcast where we typically talk about what we're going to do next. So I've already said what I want to do next. I think instead of saying what the next podcast is going to have, because we want to take a tiny hiatus into the new year. Uh, we'll still have content up for you, but I think after this podcast, we're going to just have a little special surprise for everybody and then get back on the horse in the new year. But I'm, I think we should all go around and say things we're considering for doing next year. I think that would be a good thing to bring up because I have some ideas. Well, we've certainly mentioned the headphones thing already, so yes. we'll leave that one off the table. But my definitely one of my picks for next year, as I said earlier, is I was absolutely blown away by the soundtrack in The Hobbit. And I like the idea of doing soundtracks on the podcast because it's something different. Oh, absolutely. So my, one of my first picks in the new year will definitely be The Hobbit soundtrack. And I'm going to be accepting a challenge Steve voiced to me a few weeks ago and finding a video game soundtrack that stands up as an album in, in and of itself. Mm. I'm going to find something ranging from 8-bit to the surreal and super real of today. And he will woo me with it. <laughs> and I will, That's a weird I will get sentence, Steve, isn't it? I will get Steve to give it a higher rating than I will. Ooh, wow. That's a tall order. That is a tall order. As Barney Stinson says, challenge accepted. Indeed. How about you, Steve? Um, as much as I preach new music and the bold and the... I think a lot of that can be gathered from the old. I think that there are dead ends, which is a segment that I've started and I will continue with, with uh, future genres uh, called Tragic Dead Ends. It's... Uh, an article segment, and I'll try to cover more of them, that there are some genres out there that just had so much more potential, and they forgot, they've forgot been forgotten for whatever reason, just because, you know, there was no one around to follow up, or just because they kind of went their way, or, I don't know, there's nothing really to explain it, but I think there's stuff out there. And I got one other thing I'm definitely going to do this year, and I have to check the Geneva Convention to see if it's truly legal, but I'm going to make you guys listen to rap. I listen more rap than you do. Legal? Really? I have legal. to... No, I mean... Rap. Like Dr. Dre, Busta Rhymes, Ludacris. No, you know, I was code. listening to some Biggie recently. I like Big 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 well, that's more tongue-in-cheek rap. Right. Cheek rap, but yes. But it's still, the, the but skill of rapping is to surprise John not... even more, not just stuff I liked, stuff that got stuck in my head. Mm. Well, stuck in your head is easier. I've done it a few times now. You know, surprisingly enough, it's not that easy. Sometimes, 
I, I do actually think that when something gets stuck in your head, that's not just accidental and does not... You cannot pass the song off as uh, being crap once you've said that it's done that. I really think people should be a little more open-minded in that regard. Um, say, when it gets stuck in your head, you've got to give it some credit. You've got to actually use that as an analytical tool to say, why is it getting stuck in your head? What do you like about it? Well, So what do you like about they're coming to take me away? <laughs> it's and, crazy. That's what I like about it. It's and that, crazy. That really is a discussion for another day. Definitely. So, um, on that note, oh, is there anything else you want to add, Steve? I might close out with a lyric. Feel free. I would you. I'll say my bit after you finish your with your lyric, if you'd like. Fair enough. Just some food for thought. Going back to what I consider to be the best song of the year, "Heavy Is As Heavy Does," a lyric which I should have mentioned before, but I'm glad I saved for the end. Among six billion people, I want the ones who never wanted me. I'm not one for religion, but I can't seem to ditch this imagery. It's very powerful. And closing that and closing our year, always remember, music is life, and life is good. <laughs>